0: Well, I've certainly been anticipating the launch of this episode for quite some time. Today, we kick off our series, Workforce Disrupted, with the New York Times bestselling author, Kim Scott. In addition to being a New York Times bestselling author, Kim was a CEO coach at some of the most famous companies in the world, like Dropbox, Qualtrics, and Twitter. She was also a member of the faculty at Apple University, and before that, she led teams at AdSense. YouTube, and DoubleClick. Earlier in her career, Kim managed a pediatric clinic in Kosovo and started a diamond-cutting factory in Moscow. She is certainly one of the most accomplished people that I've ever had the pleasure to speak with. Kim's book, Radical Candor, had a unique impact on my early management career, and I still reference it today. During our conversation, we talk about the future of work, how to deliver effective feedback, some of her experiences throughout her career, and believe me, her stories you won't want to miss. We also dive into her new book, Just Work, which reveals a practical framework for both respecting everyone's individuality and collaborating effectively. It is my absolute pleasure to kick off Workforce Disrupted with Kim Scott. Let's jump into the episode.
1: You're listening to The Ramped Podcast, a podcast connecting industry heavyweights with the next generation of talented professionals. We're on a mission to build transparency into the practical realities of your early career by exploring how the world's best did it themselves. Our guidance will help you discover and launch a successful career in sales, technology, finance, and many other industries.
0: Kim, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, it's an honor to be here.
0: Of course, so uh, I've given your intro, but we ask at the beginning of our podcast episodes for our audience, who is Kim Scott really? (laughs)
1: <laughs> you know, it's funny. So uh, my business career was kind of a crazy plot to subsidize my writing habit, <laughs> in fact. And so who I am really is is a writer. And I loved my career. I love my business career. But sometimes the things that we have the biggest passion for don't really pay the bills. So and that's okay. You can still have a great career uh, in, in in two tracks. And and now the careers have merged into one, which I'm very happy about.
0: I'd say you did a pretty good job of, uh, of of merging the two and, uh, allowing the, the passion become the, the, uh, the true reality. So that's awesome. <laughs> so I have to admit, I've heard tons of interviews from you, uh, and they're all fantastic. However, I can't really find one that focuses on that early start of your career. So those formative years, potentially the first role out of college, tell us about your first job. Did you know hundred percent that that was the route you wanted to take coming out of school? And, and if so, or if not, you know, why?
1: I didn't know anything 100% then, and I still don't know anything 100% now. So in college, I studied Russian literature, and I had a grand plan. Uh, I was going to sort of solve the problem of the Cold War by, by reading American literature and Russian literature and understanding the cultural problem, and then, of course, <laughs> My my junior year, the, the towards the end of my junior year, the wall fell and uh, and the Cold War was sort of over. So problem solved, you know. And I went to Russia. I moved to Russia after uh, after college to work for Moscow Physical Technical Institute to write a paper on military conversion. So swords and the plowshares. These military factories that were you know like tank factories that were starting to make small tractors uh, for the newly privatized farms and. And the, the letter, the job offer letter I got explained that my salary would be $6 a month, but I did, which maybe seemed low, but I didn't need to worry because there was nothing to buy in Moscow anyway. So that was, that was the begin, And I took it. I was like, ah, that sounds great. That's what I'm going to do.
0: Awesome. So so that's, you know, yeah, when, when people think tech companies, that doesn't sound maybe maybe as a technical company in Moscow, but it doesn't sound too much like Google or Apple or any of these yeah. other tech companies. So when was that transition point where you took what you you know thought you were going to do and, and moved it into what you are doing now?
1: so i mean it was a gradual transition this was it was 1990 when i moved him, so it was still the soviet union in fact when i moved there and and i was really just trying to figure out how i i had no idea what i was going to do with my life or my career or you know as i said what i really wanted to do was read and write novels but uh but i couldn't figure out a way to make a living doing that so i so that job ended uh, after the coup. So I was looking around for another job. I wound up working for a diamond company, a, a New York-based diamond company, and started up a diamond cutting factory in Moscow, <laughs> So, which also was not at all what I expected to do. But it was unexpectedly fun. And I would say, if I have one bit of advice for people, like, don't make too much of a plan. Uh, open yourself up for experiences that you don't expect. Uh, and, and and that job was, was what really actually got me interested in management. I, I write about this in Radical Candor. I had to hire these diamond cutters these 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 workers and i thought this was going to be easy because i i was kind of super duper liberal and i thought capitalism was a bunch of nonsense and and all all you had to do to hire people was to pay them right and uh and it turned out that these guys didn't just want money they wanted a picnic so i went i went off on this picnic with them and it became clear we shared a bottle of vodka and it became clear by the end of the bottle of vodka that what they really wanted was to know that I cared about them, that if things went sideways in in Russia, there would be someone to help them and their families get out. And... This, this all of a sudden, so they wanted really someone who gave a damn. It wasn't the thing that I had to offer that the state didn't have to offer it was not money. It was, it was actually a relationship, a human relationship. And now all of a sudden management seemed like more of an interesting thing to me. So I think that was really the moment as, as I was drunk, uh, with these diamond cutters in this, <laughs> at this picnic that management became interesting to me.
0: Yeah that's that's uh that's quite a story that's awesome uh, and you know very unique I don't think I've I've spoken with any we interview you know tons of managers tons of CEOs and COOs and VPs of sales CROs and no one has had a, a story quite as unique as that. That's really cool. I think uh, the message is, is super received too. For our audience, you know, folks in their early career is, you know, experiment, try new things. You never know what could open your eyes to what you actually want to do. And it's okay not to know right away, right after school, what what you want to do. I certainly didn't as well.
1: You know, I, I heard somebody told me something that was really comforting to me, which I'll share. He said to me, it was uh, he was a therapist and he said to me, you know what? only about 10% of people have a real vocation and they confuse the hell out of the rest of us. <laughs> and I, I found that very comforting as I was struggling to figure out what I wanted to do with my life.
0: Yeah, that's right. I always, uh, I was, and growing up I did, uh, I looked at my friends that wanted to just be a doctor or be a lawyer and I was like, you yeah. know, hey, how do you know that right now? I could never, I never wanted to just be one thing. Yeah. Um, so when do you feel like in your career you really started hitting your stride?
1: I feel like I hit my stride when I quit. So this was, other, this was, this was some other advice that someone gave me that, that has been very helpful. Don't forget to quit. So I was in a job that was making me miserable and I quit and I didn't have another job lined up and, and that was when I decided to sit down and write Radical Candor now i thought it was going to take me about three months to write it so i thought i was just having and it took me four years it felt like it was as i was working on it i was enjoying it and it felt like productive work and so i kept going and i was lucky at that point in my career that i had i had done Google stock that I got when I took that job had done really well so I could afford to quit for and also my husband was still working at Google so for a couple of different reasons I could uh, afford to quit and and just do what I finally do uh, you know (laughs) what I had always wanted to do so I think a couple of things a couple of lessons from that one is don't forget to quit but also you know, it's okay to try to work hard to make money to save the money to do what you really want to do. Like I always felt a little guilty about that. uh, But I don't know why that was a waste of time that guilt.
0: That's good. Those are are good insights and, and really productive. You don't hear that often. You often hear quite the opposite, which is work hard. If you get a job out of school, just Make sure that you're doing the best job you can, and stick to that track until you either get promoted or you see another opportunity within that specific track. And I think often forgot is you know it's 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 okay to quit. It's it's yeah. It's if in your you know circumstance, obviously the right move too. You know both personally, professionally, and financially. So you know our audience is early career folks, and you know you don't typically get the harsh feedback through high school and through college. And when I say harsh, I mean, you know, the, 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 the honest feedback. You're, you're often told through a grade or through, um, you know, through your parents, like what you're doing right or wrong. You don't you don't ever really get feedback from a manager or a boss. So what advice do you have for folks entering that first job on how to receive advice from their first managers?
1: Yeah, I think it's so important to learn how to solicit feedback and you know, sometimes the feedback is going to sting a little bit. So so you got to get ready for that. But the, one of the biggest risks, especially early in your career, is that you don't get any feedback. And everybody sort of says this kind of banal, oh, yeah, everything's fine. You're doing fine. But you don't feel like everything's fine. You know, you you, you feel there there were times in my career where I felt like a dead man walking. and uh, And that's a bad feeling. So pay attention. If you feel like something's not quite right, but, but nobody's telling you what it is, learn how to ask. So there's four things I recommend in how to solicit feedback. One is think about how you're going to ask. What question are you going to use? Because if you say, do you have any feedback for me? I can already tell you what the answer is. Oh no, everything's fine. Like you may think it's hard for you to give your boss feedback, but it's also hard for your boss to give you feedback. This is one of the things you, (laughs) you you know my mom always used to tell me of like a snake you know it's more scared of you than you are of it like the same thing is not that i'm comparing your boss to a snake a poisonous snake but your boss is afraid as as afraid of you often as you are of your boss so just try to remember that and approach them and ask them in a way that really elicits feedback so part of one of the questions that that a one of my coaches fred kaufman who wrote a wonderful book conscious business which i recommend to you is he said ask the question What can I do or stop doing that would make it easier to work with me? And that for me was very helpful. But other people have said I could never imagine those words coming out of my mouth. And that's important. Scott, if you sound like Kim Scott, people won't believe that you really want the answer. So you've got to ask the question in a way that works for you. And then once you ask the question, you've got to embrace the discomfort. So that means you need to close your mouth, count to six and give the other person a chance to answer. And six seconds is a long time. Like I'm gonna be quiet now for six seconds. I'm gonna be actually three seconds. That was three seconds, right? So you gotta like, you gotta count in your head, one, 1,002, 1,003, 1,000. Uh, so, so that's really important. And then almost no one can endure six seconds of silence. So they'll probably say something. So now you've dragged this poor soul out on a conversational limb they never wanted to go on. What do you do next? they're going to say something and even though you've just solicited feedback it's probably going to sting a little bit and so it is your job to reward the i mean it is your job to to sort of make sure that you're listening with the intent to understand not to respond because it's tempting to get defensive and to to start arguing, start or criticize the criticism, start saying, well, you should have said it in a different way. You've got to make sure that you're listening, uh, that you're really listening and that you're trying to understand what they're saying. So if even if you're not sure what they mean, don't say, can you give me an example? Offer up an example yourself. Do you mean when I did blah, blah? You know, if somebody says, Kim, you're moving too fast, which is feedback I got from my boss once. And I didn't really know what she meant. And so I said, You mean like when I did this? And she was like, No, that was not you know, and so that that was like it it wasn't demanding of, of my boss that she'd tell me more, but I, I offered the example. You can also ask your friends. I asked I asked a bunch of people about what it what, you know, what does this mean I'm moving? And they gave me some very harsh but useful examples, you know, like Kim, you're really fast to hit the bozo bit or Kim, you you're too fast to hit send. And that I knew exactly what those things meant. So sort of make sure you're trying to understand the feedback. And last but not least, you've got to reward the candor when you get it. If somebody gives you some feedback, you've got to act on it. Now, you may disagree with the feedback, but let's first, if you agree with the feedback, fix the problem and then go ask the person, did I go far enough? Did I overshoot? Another good advice that I got from one of my bosses about res- responding well to feedback is what you should do if 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 somebody says you're too far to the left, you can't shoot to the center. You've got to shoot to the right. So you've got to actually overcorrect when you get. So so for example in the you move too fast feedback, my boss said you will know that you have fixed this problem when somebody tells you you're moving too slow. <laughs> <laughs> not when they say you you're doing it just right. And so that was really helpful. So you've got to reward the candor. Now sometimes you're gonna disagree with the feedback, and that's okay. You don't have to pretend if you say, oh, thank you for the feedback, you know, that's not a reward. That's actually a brush off, which doesn't it just shows you disagree and you're not willing to talk about it. So if you if you really disagree with the feedback, then what you need to do is first look for that five or ten percent of what was said that you can agree with to demonstrate that you're not defensive or shut down the feedback. And then have a respectful conversation about why you disagree. Uh, and, and we often fear, especially with our managers, but with any relationship in our life, that a disagreement will hurt the relationship. But actually what hurts the relationship is ignoring what the other person told us. A respectful disagreement actually can build some of the best professional relationships of my career started with a disagreement, but a disagreement done well. and. Especially if the feedback is coming from your boss, at a certain point you have to listen, challenge, commit. You have to you have to disagree and commit. So you don't want to argue endlessly. But just if you've said your piece, then you don't feel a loss of agency, even in the face of feedback that you disagree with, but that you have to act on anyway.
0: That's awesome. I was thinking while you were were you saying that about some of the tough conversations that I've had with bosses and how I acted and you know typically in my early career i would probably respond with a with a brush off right thank you for your yeah. go back to doing doing my my job and yeah. you know uh, and, and more recently i've i've certainly been a manager more recently and when folks give me feedback. I think I take it much more seriously because I I solicit it and I rarely receive it. So I'm now in that position where I crave it and I really want it and I do take it seriously. So I think that that's the mentality on it. It's totally switched. And it brings me to one of my next questions for you is, do you think it's okay as an entry level or early career employee to give your boss feedback?
1: A hundred percent. A hundred. The people I know who have been most successful are people like hierarchy is really it's inevitable, but it's a dangerous thing because you do well in your career when you build good relationships. And there are a few things that are more damaging to a relationship than a power imbalance. And so if you don't have the power in the relationship, you need to kind of pretend that you do. You need to pick some up. And if you do have it, you need to put it down so that you can get on the get on a level playing field and have a real conversation. So I think that that it is really a good good idea to give feedback to your boss. But remember, you want to, there's an order of operations. You want to start by soliciting feedback. You you want to make sure that you are asking for your boss's perspective first before you start. Don't dish it out before you prove you can take it. And there's another important point here, which is that remember, when you're early in your career, you are probably going deep on something. So you have some a depth of knowledge that your boss may not have. But your boss also has a breadth of knowledge that you may not have. So they're responsible for sort of a wider scope of things than you are. And sometimes your boss will make a decision that from your perspective seems irrational or ridiculous. But if you if you can begin to understand what your boss's scope of responsibility is, it makes a little bit more sense. So make sure that you're not being, uh, th- that you're open to the fact that you don't know everything <laughs> when you're giving uh Giving some feedback that that your boss your boss might not know some things that you're you know but your boss also might know some things that you don't know so your boss should be humble but you also should be humble I think uh, really arrogant or self righteous in in my new book just work I talk about self righteous shaming and that is the tool of the powerless and and the problem with that tool I don't want to take a tool away from the powerless except this tool self righteous shaming is just it's counterproductive so. So it's not a good tool to use. So make sure that that you are, are not doing that when you're offering feedback to your boss. The other thing to think about is, you know, none of us want to kiss ass, but offering praise is not necessarily kissing ass. It's telling your boss, it's giving voice to what you appreciate. It's sort of a gratitude. So if you think about it in terms of gratitude, then you can realize that if you share the good things, the things that you appreciate. About your boss, with your boss, then they'll do more of them, and <laughs> they'll do it. They'll do it more often. So I think that's really important.
0: Yeah, this is this is really good. I, l- I love the uh, the power imbalance stuff. It's often very intimidating for somebody to give their boss feedback, but I do think that also helps to level set, you know, where you're at in your relationship too.
1: There's one more thing on that before we move on that just popped into my head. I started this company, just work with Trier Bryant, who's an officer in the Air Force, and, and she made a really good point. She said, you know, in the military, we teach leadership, but we also teach followership. And I think in business, we only teach leadership. And that's a real problem, like being a good follower, there is an art to it and there is dignity to it. I think we have this notion that we must always be the leader. And that just sort of by definition can't be correct. So so I think learning how to be a a good follower with agency and dignity is really important.
0: Yeah, and and in some ways being a good follower is also being a good leader, right? It's, It's proactively, and you know you're following instructions and directions but when you see something wrong you correct and it may not be because you're being you know arrogant or you know an a-hole it could just be you've noticed something and you don't want the person in charge to look foolish right yeah exactly a big part of our program at ramped is teaching early career folks how to find mentors i know i had some mentors early in my career that really helped me improve not just on the the hard skills, like the stuff that I'm doing day to day, but the soft skills and how to develop relationships. Who are some of your early mentors and how did you cultivate relationships with them?
1: So I think that a few few things on the topic of mentors. Uh, One is that, there, i've had mentors who who worked for me right so i've had mentors so a mentor is not always someone who's ahead of you in your career you can learn from everyone and i think it's really important to remember that i think when you are when you are approaching someone for some help and by the way asking for help is like asking for an investment it's it's an act of power it's not an act of powerlessness yeah. um, so so don't feel like you're you know, like you're going hat in hand when you're asking for help. You're actually, it's an, it's a, it, it, it is a really strong thing to do. So when you're asking for help of someone who is more senior than you are in the organization, uh, you want to be really conscious of their time. Uh, one of the things that doesn't work is saying, can we go get a cup of coffee? <laughs> like you, you, what people want to do, especially when they're, when they're, you know, your boss's boss or someone that they want to give you advice, they want to help, but they want to help quickly. And so being aware of, of how you can look, ask for help in a way that is efficient for the other person is really, really important. So be respectful of people's time, I think is one of the most important uh, bits of advice. I, I was uh, speaking with Andy Grove, who was the CEO of Intel at one point, and he there was a journalist who was writing about mental mentorship. And someone said, oh, Andy Grove was a great mentor to me. He gave me this advice and it, it changed the trajectory of my life. And Andy said, you know, it was hard for me to talk with this journalist because the fact of the matter is what happened in that case is we were on a business, we had flown somewhere on a business trip together. We, we took a cab to the meeting and in the cab ride, he asked me a question and I listened and I answered the question, but that was it. That was like the extent. <laughs> and, and like, that's okay. That's a lot. You know, it changed the trajectory of this guy's career, but he didn't sort of keep following up and saying, can we have lunch? Can you know? So, so you can get a lot out of people in just a couple, a couple of minutes. The other thing I will say is some really good advice I got from people in the course of my career came from even, even though there was one guy in in my in my career who gave me really good advice before I went to business school. And he said, look when you go into these classes, it's like going into a meeting and you're not fully prepared and because other people are going to know a lot more than you. And what you do in that situation is you listen for the first half intently, and then you summarize what's been said and pivot the conversation in a new and interesting direction. And that was really good advice. And I'm really glad that I took it from him because there was a decent chance I wasn't even going to talk to him. I was really... Mad at him, he had been kind of a sexist pig to me. Uh, I will say he he had been really awful. But even so, even when people are are not like someone you really like and an admire, if you can still be open to hearing what they have to say and listening to them, uh, that also is 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 all for the good.
0: Good. Well, can learn from anyone. Uh, yes. Hopefully, hopefully for our audience, they aren't. Um, treating you like like a sexist pig. We-
1: I promise you, a lot of people here are getting really badly miss, missed. By the way, here's another really good piece of advice. Uh, someone I follow on Twitter, who's a, a black engineering leader at Google Mecca is his name, M-E-K-K-A. And he he had a thread on the difficulty anchor. And the idea is that, I write about this in Just Work, the idea is that if you are underrepresented And one of the things that's very likely to happen to you is that if you do something that's very difficult, people will say, oh, that's easy. You know, they dismiss, you know, if Kim did it, it must be easy. And and so he recommends reaching out to someone, not someone who necessarily looks like you, but someone who 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 is known for being kind of a hard ass in the organization and describing the problem to them before you try to try to fix it and asking them if they if you can come to them when you get stuck on something uh, as you're trying to as you're working on this project and and then when people try to say later oh that was no big deal this difficulty anchor will say yes it was a big deal this was a hard problem
0: yeah that makes sense it's um i haven't tried that before i think that makes a ton of sense and i think it probably opens the discussion in a more transparent and level you know level playing field as well so as an early career employee you know kind of off what we were saying sometimes you find yourselves in uh, or yourself in a in a situation with a very poor manager and somebody yeah. who, at an early stage in your career is going to have a very negative impact often you're probably given guidance from your parents or those close to you that you know you should just stick with it you should you should you know ride it out you've only been there for a couple months real or perceived you're kind of in a rock but in between a rock and a hard place Uh, What do you do in that situation? What do you do when you have a poor manager and you're early in your career? So you're just in this kind of I'm stuck situation.
1: I think that we are rarely as stuck as we think we are. So my advice to you in that situation is to locate the exit nearest you. And uh, and and the reason for this, you may not wind up leaving, but if you know you have an off-ramp, then y- you can afford to take the risk of going to this manager and explaining to them the position that they're putting you in. and And maybe the person will fix the problem, maybe not, but you've got an off-ramp, so it becomes safer to give the person this feedback. I think that we are not nearly focused enough on the damage that a bad boss does. I mean, I have seen people develop insomnia. I've seen people sort of break out in rashes. Like a bad boss really has a huge impact on your life. At one point, I had a boss who was really, he he belittled me. And I went to have my annual checkup and I had shrunk half an inch, like it had physically manifest. And I'm very short, I'm only 5'1". I am only one. i did not have half an inch to give. And my doctor said, do you really need this job? That like, this is doing, this is doing physical not. damage, yeah. And so I think you wanna have some compassion for yourself and for the fact that having a bad boss is really a terrible thing and uh and you don't have to put up with it uh i uh, i i mean i switched jobs pretty often and and i seem to have done okay in the course of my career so i think it's also important to factor in the impact that that bad boss is having on you and your sort of your mental health and your physical health
0: Yeah, I I have to admit I've been stuck in that situation too and seen a doctor and I was having minor anxiety attacks and he at the time I I didn't know what it was about uh, and it was about, you know, the the bad boss and I ended up quitting and it was one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. But I I was uh, he prescribed me beta blockers and at that point I was like. You know what? This is not Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, need, uh, I
1: can take beta blockers. Or I could just, I can quit. just like, quit. Why don't we just quit?
0: <laughs> Let's just quit. This is this is way, way, uh, way different. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so if uh, if you could go back in time and now that you have the benefit of hindsight and give yourself one piece of advice, what would you say to younger Kim Scott?
1: I think that I got a lot of advice early in my career about how to sort of navigate around uh, workplace injustice, around bias, prejudice, bullying that I encountered. And I wish that I had tried to change it rather than just navigate around it earlier. I could have. I was, you know, in, in many ways, I was in a privileged position and I could have done more to fight the power without, uh, without blowing up my career. So that's, uh, I, I, and I, it's one of the things I admire a lot about this generation is that this, gener- this generation entering the workplace now is much less likely to put up with the kind of crap that I put up with.
0: I think it's uh, the natural reaction. We probably skewed way too far to the right. So our generation is way left uh, kind of a callback to what you were saying in the beginning. We just, you know, we just attack it.
1: I think it's awesome. I love it. I admire it.
0: It's great. It's great. Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about your new book, Just Work. So tell us about the book. Obviously, uh, it's it's out there. There's been a ton of great press on it. And what folks, especially early career folks, can learn from it?
1: So... In some ways, just work is my effort to go back and fix that problem that I <laughs> take that advice, give, offer that advice for my younger self. So what I tried to do in the book is to break down bias, prejudice, and bullying. Uh, I think very often we conflate those three problems as though they're one and the same thing. And they're actually very different. And the, the way that we can respond to each one is different. So simple definition, bias is not meaning it. Prejudice is meaning it. It's a conscious belief, unlike bias. And bullying is being mean. There's no belief at all. <laughs> and they're just, this person's just being an asshole. And so how do you respond to each? So with, with bias, you want to have an I statement, which sort of invites the other person in to understand things the way that you understand it. So I don't think you're going to take me seriously when you're calling me honey, for example. But whereas whereas with prejudice, you want an it statement, which sort of demarcates the boundary between one person's freedom to believe whatever they want and another person's freedom not to have that belief imposed upon them. So it is an HR violation for you to tell me I'm neglecting my children by showing up at work today, which someone did to me once. Or so an IT statement can appeal to a a company policy. it It can appeal to the law. It is illegal not to give people the, the best clients because they are the mother of young children, or it is ridiculous not to assign the, the right people to the right accounts because that one person is a parent and another isn't. Sure. So that's an it statement. Now, a you statement is very different from these. A you statement sort of pushes the person away. So, in the case of bias, you want to invite them in. In the case of bullying, you want to push them away. So, you can't talk to me like that. Or, what's going on for you here? And I learned this from my daughter actually when she was in third grade. She was getting bullied on the playground. And I was kind of encouraging her to use an I statement. And, you know, I feel sad when you and she banged her fist on the table and she said, Mom, he is trying to make me feel sad. Why would I tell him he succeeded? <laughs> Thought, gosh, that's a really good really point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh and so that's why you want the use statement. A use statement sort of puts you in the active role. You're you're not answering the other person's questions, you're making them answer your questions or respond to you with a use statement. So so that that's one of the things that I try to do is uh, and I also try to think about it shouldn't be all on the people who are harmed to deal with bias prejudice and bullying so what can you do as an upstander when you notice one person expressing bias towards another how you know how can you step up and uh, and intervene in those situations and then The next part of the book talks about what happens when power enters the equation and then you get discrimination, harassment, and physical violation. So I talk about how you, as uh, someone early in your career, can fight the power without blowing up your career.
0: It's it's really smart and I think what's important and why everybody should read this book right now as an early career person, is because you're not taught this in school. Like you go through, you know, your academic career, elementary school, junior high, high school, college, and you're never taught, you know, situationally, what do I do if I have X person treating me Y way in the workplace? And that, you know, is, is just lost. It's just completely lost. And I think it's something that, you know, at ramped, we, we, we barely scratch the surface on it. We try to, uh, but I think this is something that, for our audience absolutely you should read this book and and understand you know about these situations come into your career knowing how to deal with them rather than either one just you know taking it which sounds like many of us have done yeah. uh, or or two you know responding in a way that is you know out of anger out of you know pure emotion and you look uh, a certain way in the professional environment so you know it's it's great and i think this is um, this is this is required reading so one last question for you, and I think it's kind of off the book and you know off of the, the lack of education that folks get coming up through their academic career is, what do you do when, when you don't know what to say in a work environment?
1: Yeah, I, I think my, my great-grandmother needle-pointed a pillow for her daughters, and, and the pillow said say something, you can always take it back. And so I think we, we too often we default to silence. And so you don't have to say the exact right thing and you don't have to know whether it's bias, prejudice, or bullying that, that you're confronting. Just say something. If your instinct tells you it's prejudice, then start with the word it. And even if you don't know what's going to come out of your mouth next, just say it, and then something will come. Sometimes it's just about momentum. Or if you think it's bias, start with the word I. Even if you don't know what's going to come out of the out of your mouth next, and then notice. Or if it's bullying, say you. And if it seems like it might escalate, you can just ask an innocuous question. You, where'd you get that shirt? Uh, but now, now you know the the other person is answering your questions, and you may learn when you respond that what you thought. Was was bias is actually prejudice or what you thought was prejudice is actually bullying or what you thought was bullying was actually bias and that's okay you, you don't have to get it right all the time i think that's really the, the moral of the story is let's give ourselves a little bit of grace to just try to say something and to realize that when you say something it's not only to protect yourself or to be an upstander to protect it's also to protect that person who's making a mistake because very often when someone is bullying someone else. They don't even realize what they're doing. And if they don't get any feedback, then they're gonna keep doing it.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Very tactical advice that you can take with you for the rest of your career. Well, Kim, this has been an absolute pleasure. There's so many things that our audience can learn from you and from your books and your works. And I totally recommend folks check out both Radical Candor and Just Work. They've had a profound impact on my career and I'm lucky enough to have read radical candor early in my career when I was starting to be a manager. But thank you so much for for joining on the podcast. We really, really appreciate you being here.
1: Thank you so much and good luck in your careers. Try to have fun. That's the most important advice.
0: Awesome, I love that, thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to the Ramped Podcast. To access our show notes, the Ramped platform, or to become a corporate partner, visit www.RampedCareers.com or email us at sales at RampedCareers.com. This podcast is brought to you by Ramped. Ramped is on a mission to democratize job access through learning and career discovery. Until next time.